Hello Spartans, welcome to this episode of Voices of the, Val- of the Valley, a podcast featuring various students and staff from Pleasant Valley talking about all things PV. I'm your host of this episode, Vishnu Chaha, and joining with me today is Pleasant Valley biology teacher, Mr. Parker. With the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war occurring, we wanted to take a look at the global and local economic impacts that this kind of war can bring. Well, um, it, it, I would say adversely, um, in the sense that it's, it's, um, it's disruptive to production. And so um, war leads to um, the destruction of productive capacity within the countries that are engaged in that conflict. And, um, and, and because we do live in such an interconnected global marketplace, um, you know, that has a ripple effect all around the globe. And so if you look at the current conflict, and I believe from the estimates I've heard that Ukraine, for instance, produces something like close to 40% of the world's wheat supply. And so that right there is going to have, you know, an incredible impact worldwide uh, because now everything that's made with wheat is going to be more expensive because we have less supply. And so, so again, there are those ripple effects uh, that affect not just, you know, that, that spread outward from the, the the parties that are engaged in the conflict. Yeah, so um, kind of adding on to that, I've heard a lot in like history and stuff and mm-hmm. classes and things that, um, that the inverse is sometimes also true. Like war kind of promotes um, advances and like um, it can help also like boost your economy if it's in like a kind of slum state because you're motivated to serve these people. Yeah, there are uh, some cases where um, yes, um, you know, like here in the United States, um, you know, we, we do have a, a very robust defense industry. And so obviously, um, as countries, you know, ramp up their purchases of military hardware, uh, there are going to be industries that are going to benefit from that. Um, Lockheed Martin stock has uh, lately been up because um, they are a major weapon supplier. So there are um, certainly sectors within the economy that are going to benefit. And to the extent that a, comp- a country does a lot of defense spending, um, that too can have ripple effects within that country in terms of helping to promote uh, industry overall. Um, so yeah, there can be some positive effects. Um, so kind of like you mentioned before um, of how, about how Ukraine has a big um, kind of wheat influence. Um, mm-hmm. Russia also has a very big like oil and gas production influence. Yes. Um, and I know that uh, like in the U.S. currently we've kind of restricted our imports to like for, for Ukraine and things like that. So as a result, prices have like gone really high uh, across the country in the U.S. So do you see, well, what would you think would be a solution or maybe just it would like kind of die out and think things would go back to normal after the war ends? What do you think would happen after that? Okay, so what would happen after the war ends or how do we deal with the rise in prices now? What's There's two questions, yeah. Okay, so, all right. Uh, how would we deal with it now? How would we deal with it now? Okay. Um, so this might be a, a controversial point because I know there's a concern about global climate change, and rightly so, uh, because global 
climate change is real and um, we do need to be concerned about that. But I think it's important right now that the United States try to ramp up its production of fossil fuels, both natural gas and oil, uh, because we don't want to be funding Russia's war machine by buying their oil and their gas. And we want to try to wean Europe off of dependence on Russia. And so the United States has the capacity to, to help deliver energy to the world. And, um, and probably in a more environmentally responsible way than other countries that are currently supplying energy to the world. So I think that right now, as a way to deal with um, you know, the, the, the price increases that we've seen, I do think it's important that we try to ramp up and expand our energy production here domestically. Yeah, kind of preserve the economy for the global mm -hmm. economy. Um, but uh, as well as that, like, the oil is obviously a big part of that, but private corporations are also kind of doing the same thing. They're kind of restricting themselves in, um, in Russia so that Trump can also support them. So like right. examples like PayPal, um, Apple, even like McDonald's, mm -hmm. um, they're all kind of pulling away from um, their, their position there. So uh, in Russia's market, how well, that would obviously make a pretty negative impact, right? Because yeah. they're generating a lot of revenue and things like that. Um, but uh, do you think it would be fair to the Russian citizens, like because they're obviously losing uh, products and things that obviously weren't their fault? Um, what kind yeah. of would you say about it? Um, certainly, this puts a you know, this is a hardship on the Russian people, no doubt, and it's by design trying to make things hard on the Russian people so that they will then push for you know, either regime change or push towards getting their, their leaders to change their course. And um, so yes, it is hard on the Russian people. I don't know, I don't personally know how you can avoid it. Um, in other words, if we're going to be applying economic pressure to Russia, I don't know how to apply that economic pressure in a way that doesn't adversely affect the people. Um, and that's, it's unfortunate, but I just don't see a way around that. Yeah. And then kind of moving away from just products in general, um, the, the Russian ruble as well is like very dropped. It dropped almost like 80% at like the lowest possible. It's starting to go back up again. But um, yeah. uh, I was curious about this because obviously the ruble is, um, is their currency, but it also affects how other, com uh, other countries buy things, whether it's like from them or they're buying from you. So, um, kind of just to get more on it, how, how does one country's price drop affect the, uh, the foreign market of others? Yeah. Uh, well, like you said, you know, this money does flow internationally and is used to, you know, buy goods and services. And so, um, so yeah, the, the fall in the, the ruble, um, I'm trying to think this through here in terms of how it would affect... Um, you know, like for instance, recently Russia wanted Germany to start paying for natural gas in rubles, yep. uh, which Germany has now said they are not going to be doing, um, which raises the question then of whether Russia is going to continue to supply Germany with uh, natural gas or not. Um, but um, it certainly makes it harder for Russia to purchase foreign goods when the ruble is falling. 
think that's right uh, because if the ruble is worth much less relative to other currency, uh, it makes it harder for them to buy things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know what else to say beyond that, yeah. but yeah. So my, my confusion a little bit with that yeah. was um, like if foreign exchange markets are meant to be equal, um, wouldn't doesn't just converting the price make the same thing? So if I buy in rubles, isn't that the same thing as buying if I buy, pay more in rubles, isn't that the same thing as paying less in my currency? Um, okay, ask that question <laughs> again one more time. Okay. So, like, um, okay. the f ruble is worth less. Yes. And let's say the U.S. dollar is worth more. So getting right. less with the U.S. dollar should equal. So now you're going to have to spend more rubles to get the equivalent in dollars uh, because of the exchange okay. rate. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if the, if the ruble has fallen relative to the dollar, and let's say the U.S. is selling some product at, you know, I don't know, $5. And if the exchange rate used to be one-to-one, -one, which I don't know what it was, I have no idea. But, uh, you know, then it would take, you know, five rubles then to buy whatever that good or service is. But now if the, if the ruble has fallen relative to the dollar, now it might take many more rubles in order to buy that same product. So now it's going to be much more expensive, you know, for the Russian people to buy uh, those foreign goods and services. So maybe if it's it's fallen to where now it takes uh, instead of a one to one, maybe it's uh, four. What would it be? Um, you know, maybe it takes twice as many rubles or four times as many rubles now. That's just going to make it harder for the Russian people to actually buy those foreign goods and services. Yeah. So like to combat this, obviously you don't want the U.S. the currency to stay very low for long. Right. Um, so I know even like dealing with inflation and all that, like. Yeah. Prices of uh, the price of money obviously is not constant, but right. uh, like you want your you don't want your currency to stay at the lowest. So how how would you rate the currency? Right uh, now, by the way, there are some advantages if your currency is low because now uh, you know the dollar is now going to be stronger relative to the ruble. By the way, I'm not an economist, so <laughs> I'm thinking this through on my feet. So hopefully, I'm not messing this up. But if uh, you know, if the dollar is stronger relative to the ruble, then that means uh, Russian-made goods and services are now going to be much cheaper than they were before. So if people were buying Russian exports, which of course they're not, but if they were, uh, they would be able to buy more of them with the money they now, you know, with uh, the money they have. And so there are some countries that have prioritized exports. China's been accused of doing this, artificially suppressing the value of their currency in order to make the purchase of their goods more attractive. Uh, in other words, so that Americans are now tempted to buy more and more Chinese products. Um, so there are advantages for some countries in, in having their currency be devalued to some extent. Now it hurts their people, but it, it, but it can help benefit their, their export market. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah. Um, now as far as how do you build it back up, um, well, you got to start increasing demand for rubles, and that means uh, you need to start. You know, Russia's going to have to find a way to try to move away from all these sanctions. Try to get countries to lift these sanctions against them, uh, so that once again there's demand for. You know, Russian goods and services, and demand for rubles that are then going to increase the value of the of the currency. Um, so as, as far as I know, not being an economist, as far as I know, I think that's uh, 
what they would have to do to try to increase the value of their currency. They would have to increase demand or uh, reduce the supply of rubles available. So. Significant impact on the global, uh, their, the Russian market with their rubles and its price cap. Okay, so okay. there has been like um, the SWIFT global banking system, which yep. is essentially like how they do uh, international transactions, and right. um, EU has kind of sanctioned themselves, uh, sanctioned, missing the word, sanctioned yep. themselves from Russia so that they obviously can't exchange with them. Um, so obviously, that has a negative impact as well, but like. How phrase it? Um, how would you feel? Uh, kind of just how would you restore faith in the? Um, how would you get uh, the Russians to trust them kind of again so that um, they can exchange not with themselves but like obviously other countries outside the EU? Yeah. Um, Obviously, so, so the question is, how do they get Russia to trust them again now that they've kicked Russia largely off the system? Now, they haven't kicked it entirely off, as I understand it. Uh, so there are some banks in Russia that continue to yeah. operate, um, and there are certain areas where they're still allowed transactions, especially with respect to things like oil and natural gas. Um, so, but obviously, Russia has, you know, the question is, how does Russia then once again trust a European-based system for carrying out international exchange? And I think the, the answer to that is, at least right now, there isn't, a, there isn't um, a ready alternative that they can use. So they kind of have to uh, if they want to engage in those types of international transactions um, in an easy and efficient way. So um, I know there's been some talk about China and Russia trying to develop some sort of an alternative, but as of right now, I don't think that alternative exists to the best of my knowledge. And it would take time to develop some sort of an alternative. And uh, then, of course, you have the opposite problem, and that is other countries trusti trusting, you know, a Russian or Chinese-based system. Um, so right now, um, you know, I think this is something where it's it's ultimately going to be something of necessity that they have to, to, to utilize unless they are able to come up with some sort of an alternative. I think. <laughs> but again, not an expert. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that's all the questions I have for Zoom this week. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, I didn't get things uh, <laughs> too wrong. So. Yeah, you're all good. Yeah. That was fun interview. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Hopefully these insights can give our viewers a better understanding of the changes in the war so far. As the war progresses, we expectantly wait for these economic blows to stabilize. That's all we have for this episode of Voices of the Valley. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because these halls have so much more to say. Thanks for listening.